0: Our first reading tonight is 2 Kings, chapter 23, verse 36, on page 396 of the Church Bibles. Jehoiakim was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem for 11 years. His mother's name was Zebediah, daughter of Pedia. She was from Rumah, and he did evil in the eyes of the Lord, just as his predecessors had done. During Joachim's reign, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, invaded the land, and Jehoiakim became his vassal for three years. But then he turned against Nebuchadnezzar and rebelled. The Lord sent Babylonian, Aramean, Moabite, and Ammonite raiders against him to destroy Judah in accordance with the word of the Lord, proclaimed by his servants, the prophets. Surely these things happened to Judah according to the Lord's command, in order to remove them from his presence because of the sins of the Manasseh and all he had done, including the shedding of innocent blood. For he had filled Jerusalem with innocent blood, and the Lord was not willing to forgive. Our second reading is Daniel chapter 1, on page 884 your Bibles. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim king of Judah into his hand along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years and after that they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel became Belshazzar to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chef official for permission not to defile himself in this way. Now God had caused the official to show favour and compassion to Daniel, but the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my lord, the king, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men of your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah, please test your servants for ten days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them and found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them 10 times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. This is the word of the
1: Lord. Um, it will uh, help to have the Bible open at page 884. That's um, sort of what I'm trying to, to base everything that I'm saying in the next 20 minutes or so on, on these verses, to just look at the story and to help us see what is the connection between This part of the Bible written about 600 or or telling us about events 600 years before Jesus was born. So a long time ago. Why are we looking at this tonight in 2023? Are we just wasting our time or is there a connection to real life today? I'm going to ask God in a short prayer to help us to see the connection. And then we're going to get into these verses. Let me lead us in a short prayer. Father, we thank you for your word we ask that you would open our eyes and shine light into uh, our minds to help us to understand what these verses tell us about life and why we need Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, um, if you like to take notes, then do feel free to scribble away on the back of that. And uh, let me start with... Uh, a question which uh, is this what um what do you think does it mean to live wisely what do you think it me- does it mean to live wisely or who would you say is the truly wise person the truly wise person okay so let's just imagine we fast forward to the end of the meeting we've had some tea and coffee and uh, after a bit of chat i say okay I would like all the truly wise people to gather over in that corner over there, okay? All the truly wise people come over here and uh, I wonder who would go. I, wa- I wonder who would go. I wonder if humility would hold us back and we wouldn't want to walk over there. Because I wonder if, what would we be thinking makes someone truly wise? What qualifies? Now, I assume, first of all, that this, this is a question we, we, do wa- we want to live as wise people. I assume it's a relevant question that we all want to live in a wise way. But is the truly wise person the person that really understands uh, the times, what's going on in the world? Is the truly wise person the person who has qualifications, letters before their name and after their name? Is the truly wise person the person who lives the good life a truly good life is the truly wise person, the person who um, looks after the environment. Now, that is an important thing. But the Bible says there's more. And in this book of Daniel, written 600 years before Jesus, we're going to see some answers tonight. I'm going to split it into three. The first part is verses 1 to 7. And in this part, we need to understand something of the history that is going on. In the Old Testament, this comes after some of the great kings of Israel. So King David, his son Solomon has died, and his kingdom was split, divided by God into two. That's what we're told in the Old Testament. Um, The northern bit of the kingdom is called Israel. The southern bit of the kingdom, the small bit, is called Judah. And in Judah, there is the city of Jerusalem. And there is the temple of the Israelites where the people would go to meet with God. And verse 1 tells us what happened there. It says, in the third year of the reign of King Jehoiakim, king of Judah. Now, we had another reading which told us that because of the kings in Jerusalem failing to listen to God and lead the people in obeying God, God brought another king from a faraway country. Verse one, king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, came to Jerusalem with his army. He besieged it. And it just looks like one army came to fight with another army and the bigger army Won and took prisoners back to Babylon, to uh, present-day Baghdad. But actually, verse two adds something to our understanding of what happened. It says in verse two, "The Lord, the God of the Bible, delivered His King, the King of Judah, into the hand of the Babylonian King, and." Along with the king went some articles from the temple of God. These were carried off to the temple of the God in Babylonia. And they were put in the treasure house of his God. So it looks as if Babylon and Babylon's God have triumphed over Israel and Israel's God. But verse 2 adds important detail. It says that Israel's God has actually caused this to happen. Why is it important to know that? Because it's important that the readers of this understand that Israel's God is actually in charge. It wasn't just that he knew that this was going on. He was actively arranging it. And now, in verses 3 to 7, we hear about four young men who were taken prisoners back to Babylon, removed from their home in Jerusalem and taken to Babylon, plunged into a foreign land with foreign gods and a foreign culture. They have, if you like, in these verses, they have been enrolled at the University of Babylon, totally against their will. Three years will be their course so that they join the service of the king. Did you see how in verses three to seven, Again and again, that little phrase repeats. So, verse 3 then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. They're going to be educated, the best of the best. It's like Top Gun, but in Babylon. And these these guys and maybe girls are there so that they can enter into serving the Babylonian king. So that ultimately, his kingdom, Babylon, will be strengthened. Do you see how they'll do that? How they'll achieve that? End of verse 4. They were to be taught the language and literature of the Babylonians. They were to be fed the food, the best food in Babylon. Verse 5, from the king's table, food and wine. They were to be softened up and won over with all these things. And they would come out the other end three years later ready to serve the king of Babylon. Do you notice that in verse 6, They would even take away their their Hebrew names. Verse six, they would be given new names. The Hebrew names which linked them to their God and were names to do with their God would be replaced with names to do with Babylonian gods. What was the aim here? It was to cut off every tie, every link with their homeland and their God to take away that link and to make them Babylonian to immerse them and make them conform so that they they gave their allegiance to the king of Babylon I wonder if we can see parallels about um, what Christians face in the world we live in today Wherever we go, from being with Christians to being on our own as Christians, I wonder if you can feel yourself swimming against the tide, like that one person who's got yourself on the wrong side of the stairs and everyone is coming down and you're trying to get up the stairs with all your luggage. You've started and you've got halfway and now it's just telling you to turn around and go with everybody else. That's where Daniel and his friends are. And that's where we will feel it today if we are trying to live as Christians. It could be at school where you are the only Christian in your class. It could be at your college or university. It could be on your sports team. It could be in the office. It could be closer to home. It could be the flat you share or your own family. And society and culture is trying to constantly shape the way we think. It's it's not just when we're with others, it can be when we're alone. It's the air we breathe, the TV programs we watch, the films we watch, the music we listen to. It's the things we read. It's the PSHE classes. It's the debating classes. It's social media, things that are educating us with beliefs and ideas that we're encouraged to accept without question. See if you recognize some of these sound bites that say, All paths lead to God. Or, no, hang on, no, there's no God. We evolved, and we're here as a product of time and chance and improvement. There's no such thing as absolute truth. When it comes to gender and identity, you are what you feel. When it comes to sex and sexuality, all that matters is being happy. In the words of, uh, of Barbie most recently, I haven't seen the film, but I think this quote is just so apt. I want to do the imagining not be the idea. In other words, you're free to decide. It started with Frozen. It continues with Barbie. I've seen Frozen because of my two young daughters. I will probably have to see Barbie as well. But it's all saying you are free to live however you like. It's all saying that God is not there. It's living in his world with all his good and wonderful things, but not acknowledging him. That is what the voices of this world are constantly telling us to accept and to believe. That's the first part. Daniel and his friends in this society, a totally foreign culture. But then in verse 8, how will Daniel Daniel live in this new society? Verse 8 But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. Do you see twice how in that sentence we're told he resolved not to defile himself? I'm not completely sure what this means But because it's repeated twice, I think it is key that Daniel wanted to honour his God. It perhaps more literally means he set his heart to acknowledge his God. Daniel was prepared to accept the place on the course, to accept the new studies, even the new name, but for some reason he chose not to accept the food it could be that it is to do with old testament food laws or it could be that he's just decided to draw a line to show something about his true identity as he sets out in this new culture now if it's not as much as uh, too much of a surprise to already have mentioned barbie and to say that i probably will watch it i'm going to also give you a little poem tonight at least just one part of it because I think it sums up something of what is going on with Daniel and a principle for us to take away for the Christian life it says this about ships sailing one ship sails east and another ship sails west by the self same winds that blow tis the set of the sails and not the gales that tells the way we go do you see what it's saying two ships the same gales but it is the set of the sails that decide the path the ship will take and so Daniel here resolved he set his sail his heart to acknowledge his God it couldn't have been an easy reason because when he says to the royal official, the chief official in verse 8, that I don't want the, the, the fine food and the fine wine from the king's table. And he asks if he can not do that. The official is very fearful. The official is fearful of what will happen if the king sees Daniel not looking great. Do you see that? He says he says to Daniel, I am afraid of my, my lord, the king, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men of your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Now, in verse 9, it says this official had previously favoured Daniel. Must have helped him out in some way. But here he says no to his request. But look, Daniel pushes past that and persists in a very creative way. And he speaks to the guard who must be looking after him day by day. And he puts an idea before the guard in verse 11. And he says, along with his friends, verse 12, please test your servants for 10 days. In other words, it's going to be trial by vegetable for 10 days. What a thought. For 10 days and see what happens. And verse 15 and 16 tells us that incredibly at the end, they looked healthier and better nourished than the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away the choice food and wine and they were to drink uh, and have the vegetables instead. Daniel chose to acknowledge His God as being in charge, not the Babylonian king. I wonder if there's a contrast going on. The official fears King Nebuchadnezzar, but ultimately Daniel doesn't fear King Nebuchadnezzar. He wants to honor his God. I think here Daniel shows that he understands that his life was not in the hand of King Nebuchadnezzar, who had conquered. Everywhere. He was the superpower of the day. But Daniel wants to say, No, my life is in the hand of a higher, greater king. And I want to acknowledge him. You see, bottom line, Daniel knew that the exile which had led to the people being removed from Jerusalem and placed in captivity was caused by the unfaithfulness of his ancestors. Their sin, their failure to acknowledge the Lord as God. They had failed to live faithfully as the Lord's people. And that's why God had brought the exile. And so now Daniel, living in this foreign culture, and his three friends, they want more than anything to be faithful to their God. More than anything, they want to please their God, their creator and rescuer. It seems that they knew exactly who they belonged to. This morning, some of the children were learning a question and answer from a thing called a catechism. And the question goes like this. What is our only hope in life and death? And with verses from the Bible, the answer that they were learning is that we are not our own, but belong to. To God. We belong to God who made us. Daniel knew, along with his friends, that they belonged to God and they wanted to live faithfully for their God to please Him in life. And so Daniel, we're told, resolved not to defile himself. I wonder what this means for you and I. Again, I've got to confess, I'm not entirely sure. It's encouraging us to live faithfully for our God, to live to please him. So here's a question. Where are you finding it hard to do that just now in life? Maybe even in this moment, God has made you aware of something at home, at work. Situations or scenarios where you know that you are struggling to live faithfully for God. See what happens in the last part of our chapter because it's the encouragement to live faithfully for God. In Daniel uh, 1 verse 17, we read this. To these four men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. Just glance down these verses and see what happened. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them and he found none equal to To Daniel and his three friends. Out of everybody that was taken and everybody in his kingdom, what are the chances that the three, four that are top of the list in the test are Daniel and his three friends? Do you see how it underscores it again and again and again what God has done? Giving them wisdom, verse 17, in all matters. In all kinds of things. Verse 19. None were equal. Verse 20. In every matter. He found them. Ten times better. Than all the magicians and enchanters. In his whole kingdom. And then it adds this. And Daniel remained there. Until the first year of King Cyrus. Daniel outlasted the Babylonian kingdom because Cyrus ended the Babylonian kingdom. What a turnaround. What a contrast from the start. We are being shown that Daniel was rescued by God and he and his friends were established by God. We need to move towards an end here what does this episode teach us about god tonight is it that he likes and loves vegetarians is it is it that if we go to university this is what our diet ought to be god does love vegetarians but he also loves meat eaters remember the first few verses daniel's god looked defeated His people were given into the hand of a foreign king. The vessels were taken away to Babylon and put in the temple of their God. But now, what a turnaround. Daniel has been rescued. The Babylonians and their gods are shown as no match for Daniel's God. Verse 2 talked about Daniel's God being in charge on the global stage. And now at the end of this chapter, they've won the appearance competition because he's the giver of life. They've won the wisdom competition because he's the giver of wisdom. Daniel's God is not defeated by this God or any other God. He's the one true and living God. So who then is the truly wise person? The list of the Bible Helps us to understand it's the person who acknowledges Daniel's God by acknowledging Jesus. The one who will one day rule forever. True wisdom sees Daniel's God in charge now. True wisdom means living according to the God who is in charge of the whole world. The truly wise person will acknowledge that Jesus is Lord, the King of kings, and will live a life for him. Just flick forward to one part of the New Testament. If you turn forward to 972, 972, and that will take you to Matthew chapter 7 and and, uh, these will be familiar words to many because there's a song about this part of the bible some teaching of of jesus it's about the wise and the foolish builders and there jesus says in matthew chapter 7 therefore everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice And the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a giant crash you see the difference between the two builders one's described they're both described as hearing jesus words but only one puts his words into practice jesus says that person has security in life That person is a truly wise person. How then or what then do we need to remember? Daniel shows us that God honors faithfulness so let me just rewind because I muddled that a little bit the truly wise person is the person who acknowledges God but Daniel chapter 1 also shows us that the person who acknowledges God God honors Daniel's God honors those who resolve to live for him now in this chapter 1 of Daniel, they won but the rest of the, the New Testament says it won't always be like that. But it does want us to know that God loves it when his people are faithful, when they live to please him. He notices and he will honor it. Let's pray. Father, please would you help us um, wherever we find ourselves living um, to um, have um, your help to see uh, Jesus as the great King who must be acknowledged not just in some of life, but in all of life. Please help us with resolve to live, uh, to honor and acknowledge him wherever we are, wherever we go in Jesus name we pray.